Pushkin. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handled them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank. NA member FDIC. Now is the time to embrace a new wave of workers. Every day, your team grows younger, more digital, and more drawn to entirely new ways of working, which means you need flexible solutions to connect them where business gets done. T-Mobile for Business was born digital. With America's largest 5G network, we can make it easier to work together from virtually anywhere. Your team may be changing, but with the right tech, it can be more productive than ever before. Get started at tmobile.com slash now. Barty Strange is an amalgamation of musical styles. Listen to any given song on his newest release, From to Table, and you can hear hints of early aughts emo, auto-tuned hip-hop vocals, and country blues, all housed in an indie rock veneer. Barty's wide-reaching sound makes perfect sense given his Midwest upbringing and early influences. He was raised in Mustang, Oklahoma, as one of the few black kids in an area still rife with the threat of racial violence. As a young teenager, Bartiz discovered Christian hardcore music, and for the first time, he felt at home in a scene that embraced outsiders of all kinds. After graduating college, Bartiz moved to D.C., where he joined the labor movement and worked with President Obama as a press secretary at the FCC. Overcome with the urge to play music, Bartiz moved to Brooklyn when he was 25 and found a bunch of musical collaborators. In 2020, he released his genre-bending debut album, Live Forever. This year, Bartiz dropped his follow-up album, Farm to Table, to critical acclaim. On today's episode, I talked to Bartiz Strange about his ascent into the upper echelon of indie rock now that he considers artists like Phoebe Bridgers, Justin Vernon, and Lucy Dacus friends. Bartiz also performs an acoustic version of his song Heavy Heart for us. And he plays stems from two of my favorite songs from his new album and reveals how he's able to expertly blend what he calls sections on sections. This is Broken Record, liner notes for the digital age. I'm Justin Richmond. Here's my interview with Bartiz Strange from the Bridge Studio in Brooklyn. We start things off by talking about his recent work producing other artists. How does making records for others impact your own music, or, or oh, does it not? It, it tremendously. So, like, I, I put out "Live Forever" in 2020. I produced that record and recorded it with my friends in Mosaic, New York, in a in a barn. After that record, I got all this production work, so I was able to quit my day job, right? And I had already started writing "Farm to Table," but I was like, I'm gonna wait on recording that until I record these four albums because I'm gonna try a bunch of stuff that I'm gonna do on "Farm to Table." And so for Proper, Cinema Hearts, Lou Tides, this band called Cherish out of D.C., I just tried all types of stuff on those records to see if I could get the sounds I wanted. Um, and, you know, I wanted to make the records, too. They're beautiful records, and they don't sound like me. So I, I put a, there's a lot of stuff on Farm to Table that I tried on those other records. If you listen to them, you'll hear it for sure. How did you get the sounds on Live Forever? It's a gorgeous-sounding record. Thank you. I think... The way I got those sounds was being pretty limited in the tools I had, honestly. I had to really use my ears. And I had a really clear vision of what I wanted it to sound like. I, I knew I wasn't capable of making a, like, pristine album. I didn't have the skills to do it. But I did know I wanted it to have sauce. Like, I wanted it to be, like, interesting and flavorful more so than anything. I was like, I want vibe. Yeah. Vibe first. And I do the same thing for all the records I, I, I make. I, I catch sounds on the way in. I don't do a lot of stuff in post. 
Like I don't do a lot of like dry tracks. Really? Like every reverb, every delay, every compression, I catch it on the way in. I'm squeezing super hard as I track. What's the genesis of that record? Live Forever. Live Forever. What's the earliest known either song or part or even just lyric from that record? Two songs, Mustang and Boomer. I think I played those songs in different capacities in like three or four bands before I decided on the arrangement for Live Forever. And pieces of those songs are in bands. I played a band called Stay Inside. That was a hardcore band out of Brooklyn. They still make music together. But um, my first inklings of those songs were in those in those hardcore bands. The lyrics, I, I do lyrics like dead, dead, dead last. I never really start songs with lyrics. I'll start with like a melody, but I don't know what the song's about until I finish the song, the arrangement. It, that kind of tells me what the song is about, honestly. You don't even have a thought about what it's about based on the feeling? I know what the emotion is, but I, I don't know the words. I just kind of freestyle wow. in the, the demos. And uh, once I'm the arrangement is there in a way that I feel like truly emotionally captures the song, I feel like I'm able to meet the song with the lyrics. It's almost like I have to build it. And then I can like put the final like Jenga piece in it. <laughs> you know, it's wow. like, yeah. It's a really interesting way of working. It was cool because I feel like it takes all the pressure off of me as a lyricist because it's like the song is telling you where to go. Like if you nail it, the song is it's like giving you the answer. Sometimes when I try to write lyrics before the song's done, I end up writing for a song that doesn't exist. It's like these lyrics don't fit in that song. It fits in this other world that's in my mind, but like this song doesn't want those lyrics. Yeah. It wants something else. Do you think there's any song of yours then that might be operating like on two levels, like an emotional truth that comes through the feel and the sound and the arrangement, and then maybe even lyrics that refer to something that might not even have anything to do with the initial drive of what you were trying to capture in terms of feeling? Yes, Heavy Heart, the first song on Farm to Table. The lyrics of that song are, are very kind of sad. I think the hook is like, I never want to miss you this bad. I didn't mean to run out like that. Some nights I feel just like my dad rushing around. I never saw the God in that. Why work so hard if you can't fall back? And then I remember I rely upon a heavy heart. Kind of thinking about times I feel guilty for things I can't control. But I wanted to juxtapose that with a song that felt super victorious and driving and upward moving. It kind of feels like a song by The National, like off a of boxer or something. The drums are extremely like pounding and repetitive and driving and nonstop, 16th notes the whole time. You know, the guitars, there's like five guitar tracks. They're going the entire time. They create like a round, like a loop. It's like a mantra. And, and then it just explodes through the bridge. Yeah. And you have all of this arrangement that's sending a signal of like extreme momentum upward. But the lyrics are like downward. You had that arrangement, that exact arrangement before yes. you. Wow. I definitely thought some of the arrangement must have come after the lyrics. But I guess you, the lyrics are reacting to the arrangement. That makes sense. Right. But I just for some reason thought it was Because the when other I way. heard the arrangement, I was like, this is a perfect picture of the record I'm trying to paint. Where it's like holding two extreme emotions and at the same time. Because most people are happy and sad all the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah. And it's like good days and bad days happen on the same day. Yeah. All the time. And that song was me trying to do that through the composition and the arrangement of the track. Do you want to play the first song on Heavy your... Heart? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. There's reasons for heavy heart. This past year, I thought I was broken You looked so nice in the cherry scarf We should go to Toronto more often I never want to miss you this bad I never meant to run out like that Some nights I feel just like my dad Rushing around I never saw the God in that Why work so hard if you can't fall back Then I remember I relied 
too much upon my heavy heart. And that's a shame, pulling up like it's Biscayne. It's an ass on the train, that's on DC, fuck you, man. Put the red dot on your team, yeah. I don't need no one but me, yeah. She said, my turn, and I geeked. She said, my turn, and I geeked. She a whole lot of bad news. Put the law on it, yeah, fool. I'm a rich nigga, rad dude. I can buy that, damn fool. When I think about your last week's, yeah. How you bled out in them sheets, yeah. How the doc said you were clean. All the weight y'all put on me, I never missed you this bad. I really had to run out my bad. My hand on the small love, your back touching around. I really saw the God in that, watching how you braced for impact. Then I remember I relied too much upon my heavy heart. I thought I was broken You look so nice in a cherry scarf We should go to Toronto more often I never wanna miss you this bad I never meant to run out like that Some nights I feel just like my dad Rushing around I never saw the God in that Why work so hard if you can't fall back Then I remember I relied Too much upon my heavy heart Keep on rocking in the free world, baby. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Thanks. Where did those lyrics come from? Yeah. So COVID was a weird time. Is. Continues to be a weird time. After I put out Live Forever, I, I mean, I was working a full-time job and working from home and doing the whole thing. Record came out and I got all this production work and I was able to like quit my job. And everything was going so well for me at a time when so many people in my life were experiencing like the most trying times of their lives. My grandfather died. They had a funeral. Everyone went to the funeral, got COVID. A few of them died. It was just over and over and over, just horrible things. And I was like, yo, this is horrible, but also like I'm having like the best time of my life, you know? And I was like, at, at a certain point, you, you're like, I, I want to celebrate this, but I feel guilty for wanting to. But I felt like it was still important to celebrate i think like joy as a form of resistance is like super real so eventually after feeling guilty and having a heavy heart and feeling bad about everything i was like i'm gonna take a second and just like take some take stock here because things worked this is working and um that was really big for me to do like i had to do it for myself and that's what the song is about it's kind of counting all of these things that i felt so guilty for you know, my dad working so hard all the time or us not going to my partner's city, Toronto. You know, she's from Toronto, not going up there when we had a chance. And now we're locked in the house for two and a half years. And I feel bad that I didn't schedule the time or my granddad dying and me not seeing him enough before he died, you know, and then being like. But then I realized, you know, you, you can't continue to, like, move forward in life feeling bad about everything that happened in the past. At a certain point, you got to turn over a new leaf and move forward. Reminds me of tours. I, I imagine, though, that that's written about your experience of, of touring, right? Of being a working musician, quitting your job, being a working musician. Yeah, kind of to me. The song's about turning into your parents. My dad was in the military. He was an engineer and he would go on tour, quote, quote, military tour all the time. And my mom, she's an opera singer, so she would tour a lot, too. And I remember being a kid and being like, oh, I'm never going to do that. Like, I'm going to be home and like raise a family and do the thing. 
And then I got I got older and music worked out. I was able to like tour and I love it. And in that realization, I learned more about my parents and like why they toured. And it was because they loved it and they wanted me to see them doing something they loved. And so the end of the song, I ended by saying like, I'm, I'm your son, like I'm you, yeah. <laughs> you know? And yeah. uh, another realization of getting older, just being like, dang, like I'm turning into my parents, you know, in, in, this, in this funny way. Have you had conversations with them to, yes. to this effect? And it's cool because my parents have always been so supportive of my music and they're so pumped that everything is going the way it is. And it's not uncommon that I'll reach out and I'll be like, this shit is so hard. And they're like, no one can encourage me like they can, wow. you know, because I've seen them do hard things and they know what it's like to sacrifice and go after things and face challenges and overcome them in a way that we can relate to each other on a deeper level now. So it's a special relationship. Music has deepened our relationship in that way. So when people hear military dad, I think the first thing they would think is like disciplinarian. Mm. And, and if they're opera singer mother, they, might, they would probably think that she might've been the lenient one or maybe pushing you towards the arts. Uh, military man and, and, and opera singer yeah. is, is, a, is a great pairing. Yeah, my mom and dad, they met in high school. My mom was the, the girl that could sing. And my dad was an athlete in North Carolina. My mom went to Eastman School of Music. Her choir director at church sent a tape to the director of music at Eastman and let my mom in school. And then my dad, he didn't really have a lot of guidance, so he joined the military. And, um, you know, over the years, you know, my mom, she was, you know, heavy in teaching us how to sing. And, you know, we sang in church and I went to opera camp and my mom was very involved. But she never, like, forced me into music. She was a musician herself and I think she knew how hard it was and she was like if you really want to do this you got to really want it and i'm not gonna like force you yeah. you know what was her experience as as a musician like after going to school i think my mom faced a lot because there weren't a lot of black opera singers especially not ones from the south yeah. and black woman at eastman in rochester new york in the 70s you know i think there was a lot of firsts for her and i know that it was hard for her did she want to go to New York? Did she ever yeah, do that? Yeah, I or? think she did. She did, and then she got some gigs in Europe, and, and that was all, another reason. You know, my dad was stationed in Europe. My mom was singing in Europe. You know, Hochschuler and London. You know, she was doing her thing. But after she had us, she moved into like the educational role, and she taught music at the University of Oklahoma, where I ended up going to school. She was a vocal professor there. Got her PhD at Columbia. You know, she's a she's real. <laughs> she's deep but my dad was the one that actually really got me deep into music because he was a record collector and when he would come back from japan or korea or wherever he would always bring like turntables or like tape decks reel-to-reels he was like really into like monitor like listening to music he's not a musical person creatively but he collects and so he was putting me on to like sly stone and teddy pendergrass and parliament and brides of funkenstein and like Honestly, that was like rock and roll to me. I was like, oh, these are like rock records that I fell in love with first. Bootsy Collins, you know, Rick James. That was my baseline. It was like opera, gospel from mom, but like the expansiveness of what music can be through what my dad was showing me. And looking back, it's funny, like you would expect my dad to be the disciplinarian, but he was more the creator. Like my dad, like is super handy, works on cars all the time, like always building stuff. He's an engineer. But like that creative tick and like wanting to engineer and build things, I, I got that from my dad. That need to create something out of nothing I or repurpose to. something yeah. for something better or more useful to you or whatever. Or being like, how'd you make that? Like that's, <laughs> that's like my dad in a nutshell. He's always like, how did they build that? I'm going to figure it out today. We'll be right back with more from my conversation with Bartice Strange. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. 
Anabe, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabe brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member, FDIC, copyright 2024. J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. We're back with more of my conversation with Bartice Strange. So you mostly grew up in Oklahoma, right? Yeah, that's where most of my raising was. Aside from what your parents were, were playing around the house, what was the music that you and your friends were listening to? The first, like, record I ever bought was Millennium by the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> yeah, I had that. Yeah, that record was great. And then the second one I got was Get Rich or Die Trying, 50 Cent record. My mom was, like, super Christian. She was kind of, like, weird about letting, like, secular, too much secular music in the house. But like I said, at the same time, my dad was like playing me Rick James records. Black parents are hilarious. They'll be like, you can listen to Teddy Pendergrass, but you can't listen to like 112. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Super freak's cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, okay, Turn whatever. off the lights is cool. <laughs> right. Turn off the lights, light a candle. <laughs> that song's so good. But um, yeah, So, but um, the thing that really grabbed me, though, early was hardcore music. My friend invited me to a show. I think it was at like Victory Christian Center, some church in Oklahoma City. And Norma Jean was playing in the basement. Wow. that's I haven't heard that name in a long time. Dog. That was heavy, heavy, heavy. And I, I'll never forget seeing Norma Jean. I saw him at a church too, actually, now that you mentioned that. They're a Christian in, in band. In California. Yeah. yeah, they're a Christian wow. band. My mom let me go because they're a Christian band. I just told her, I was like, yo, like, I'm, there's a concert at, a, at church. It's Wednesday, you know, Wednesday night church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, she was like, great, go. You know, she was just like probably excited. I wanted to go to church. And she drove me, dropped me and my friend off. We watched Norma Jean play. And I found out about all those tooth and nail bands, you know, Under Oath, The Almost. Like yeah. I fell in love with hardcore music through that. And like at the drive-in came close after. And uh, they're from El Paso. And so they would tour through Oklahoma. And I just remember being like, dang, these guys all just speak Spanish. Like <laughs> they don't give a shit about. Uh, that was beautiful, you yeah. know, for me to see because I was one of the only black kids, people of color in my world at the time. But yeah, hardcore music kind of was the thing that grabbed me and like skateboarding culture. We're like born in the exact same year. Yeah. And so similar experiences in that if it wasn't rap or R&B, well, around the time like we were teenagers, it was like very white spaces. Extremely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why I loved hardcore music so much because like even though everyone was white, I didn't feel like I stood out because everyone was kind of wild. Like people had like snake bites and like, tattoos on their faces and crazy hair i was just there in like khakis and a button up like i was just a normal kid at the thing you know i wasn't the weird one and i kind of loved that because i always felt like everyone was staring at me every time i went anywhere everywhere else. growing up yeah but those shows it didn't feel like that so 
I found like a safe space in hardcore venues and those little like shitty bars and like random DIY spaces in Oklahoma City. When did you start to recognize that people were looking at you? My parents were really, because they grew up in the South, were very upfront about the world that we lived in and wanted me and my brother and sister to be very like clear about where we lived and the repercussions of staying out too late or looking a certain way or being too loud or whatever. So I always kind of was hyper aware, I would say, like as a teenager and as a college student living in Oklahoma. I live near like Klansmen and and shit. People like end up missing and stuff when I was growing up. So you couldn't help but realize that (laughs) that was just a part of your reality. And this was in the time when black people were getting tied up and drugged behind trucks in Texas. Bird, right? Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. I had friends from high school, guys I knew, you know, have a bad football game. People run them out of town and shit, like crazy stuff. Yeah. And this was before like body cams and people tweeting and sharing videos and iPhones. And and iPhones. It was like people just go missing. Yeah. In 2004. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, like this yeah. isn't 1965, yeah. you know, and so we were aware, you know, of who we were. And, and that was kind of like, I didn't realize how scared I was, honestly, until I moved to like Brooklyn. It was the first time I lived in an all black neighborhood. I was 25 years old. And you felt normal. Like you just felt like how you should have felt your whole life. <laughs> yeah. And I wrote Live Forever. Really? <laughs> That's literally how it happened. Wow. Like I, I was in a spot where I was around black people, creative people that looked like me, I didn't feel so weird. I was able to like really grow and express myself fully. And those friends are still my friends to this day. It's interesting, you, re- you referred to the fact that you went to Oklahoma University mm-hmm. and you kind of had a nice successful career going before music. Like you're on your second career here, you know, like your second endeavor. Yeah, I played football at Emporia State and I transferred to Oklahoma and. After University of Oklahoma, I moved to D.C. and started doing political work, worked for Obama as a press secretary at the FCC and ended up joining the labor movement. And I was an organizer and comms director in that world for years. And then the environmental justice movement, doing a lot of campaign planning and political work there, too, which was really special. Were you playing music at the time? Yeah, just playing guitar. When did you start playing music? I mean, I had a guitar in high school. So I had like a little band called Belmont, which was the name of my neighborhood. (laughs) you know classic (laughs) situation and then um when i went to college i kind of played around school i played with some really great players john calvin abney john moreland samantha crane those are some of the best in oklahoma right now and then when i moved to dc i kind of shelved it because i was like i need to like get serious about life and like make money. You were money. in the place for hardcore music. Though. I you know, think the, dude. The, the, the birth, the home. I know. I remember, well, I had to sell, I had no money. I sold all my music equipment and moved to DC and I tried to find some bands to play in, but I, I wasn't really plugged in and I was, I had no money. Like, you know, I lost my first apartment. I was homeless. I was like living out of my car and then I met a girl and I was living out of the dorms at Howard, you know, pretending I was a student there. I was just trying to like survive. I didn't have time to like join a band. Got you. You know, so then when I started getting jobs, I was just like, cool, this is what I'm doing now. And then I hated it. Didn't feel good. And I moved to New York (laughs) and started playing in bands. So I was like 25, 24, 25, when I really started hitting it hard in New York. And I just gigged for five and a half years, basically. So Live Forever is inspired by your move to Brooklyn, to Mm -hmm. New York, and finding a space where you finally feel yourself like free like comfortable (laughs) like not like an oddity everywhere you go or no one's staring at you or wondering Mm -hmm. what were the first songs that came out of that feeling boomer mustang ghostly those three probably i wrote a lot i wrote a lot of music for that record i just picked those 10 boomer is a crazy song i like that song where did you find the confidence to mix like i i actually wrote down (laughs) i had to write the song out and like track what's going on in it because you know first time i listened i was like that's that's fucking cool and then i was like wait a second like the verses are like storytelling through like rap and then you're into like the pre-chorus is like r&b pop chorus just feels indie rock yeah and then the bridge is like a country blues or something you know you're like yeah damn there's been adventurous artists like Prince has songs that feel like a country song or a gospel song yeah. and Parliament the same, but it's like throw everything into one song. That, that's, yeah. that's some courage, man. Dude, 
the song's I mean, the song scared the shit out of me. It's it was a scary song to write because I thought people were gonna think I was corny when I wrote it. I was like, people are gonna think this is whack. Like, I I love this, but I don't think anyone's gonna really understand this. But luckily, my friend Brian D'Amelio was like, "Dog, that's the best song on the record. Like, easy." <laughs> You need to, we're putting that on the record. I almost didn't put it on the record at all. Really? I was like, ah. And he was, I was like, I don't think I'm going to take it off the record. And he was like, that song wraps up the record. It like, it's like such a clear picture of who you are. You know, like I grew up in the country. The first shit I learned how to play was like blues and country music. And then it was like hardcore. And then I fell in love with hip hop and it's all of it in one song. <laughs> Yeah. It's great. I love that song. It's a beautiful gift that you have. Did you always have that level of confidence? No, because I was scared all the time. I was scared of everything growing up. I was horrified to be myself. I felt like I was going to get killed for it. That was like all I learned from my parents, grandparents, everyone. Like everything was about fear. So when I moved here, no, I was the first time I met black people who weren't scared of anything. Like niggas outside all day. Like, like all day, yeah. you know, just kicking it, smoking, partying, drinking, having a good time, whatever. You know, I'd never seen black people so free. So I was like, I want to be like that. And so as I got closer to that, I was like, dang, superpowers. Like, this is amazing. That's where it came from. I love it. I think I got drunk off of it because I'd never had it before. It's an intense voice that you found yeah but it's so different like did you feel that you had to make music that was from that same place like almost trapped by your own creation in that sense like or, or scared of it no i felt like that record gave me all the running room i could ever want like people expect me to do whatever i want after that record if i made a country record they'd be like well you know it's kind of weird or if i made like a freaking like a fusion record they'd be like he kind of does whatever he wants, you know, like, and that's kind of the career I want. I want to make a lot of stuff. And in my mind, I'm not limited. I, there are things I want to do that I'm just, I'm going to do. It, it'd be very hard for someone to pressure me <laughs> into making a specific record, unless it was like a fat check, you know, <laughs> if I get the Kanye gig or something. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. now you're on 4AD. You've, you've taken the fat check. A check, yes. Yeah, a check. Okay, we won't, we won't, we won't. It's okay. We won't paper watch. Okay. It's, it's good. It's very good. I'm happy. I'm, my life is fine. <laughs> is there, do you feel like there's more people telling you what to do now? Or, no. Or anyone recommend, like strongly recommending? That's why I signed with them. When I made Live Forever, like no one wanted to sign me at all. Everyone passed on my album. Everyone. I was like, I get it. Like it's weird. It's, you know, it's weird. Whatever. But I think it's going to work. And it worked. And then everyone came back and they knew I had vision and they knew that I knew what I was doing and that I could make the record. You know, I don't need a lot to make the record. I can make it by myself, make it with my friends, whatever, you know, like if I say I'm going to do it, I'm probably going to do it. And so for AD, they, you know, they, I felt like with them, they, they understood me the deepest and they understood that I had vision and that, and they were just going to trust me. And I felt like they understood that I was in it for the long haul. Like, I wasn't looking for a hit. I wasn't trying to make like the biggest song of 2022. I was just like, I'm going to build this thing yeah. over time. Yeah. And one day we're all going to look down from the mountain and be like, look what we did. Because the bands I admire, that's what they did. Like what groups? The National, yeah. Radiohead, TV on the Radio, Nick Cave. People who like over decades build these followings that are just like, you can't fuck with it. It's deeper than like, having a hit. It's like, I want a career like those because I feel like there's not enough black people that get that opportunity to be in like the alternative space and like have a career like the national, you know, there aren't, I mean, there's Prince, there's MJ, you know, there's Dev Hines, you know, these people, they're like pop kind of world. Mm -hmm. But like in my world, it's like after all the music black people have made, like it's, it's weird that there's not like a band like the national that's black. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's had like seven great albums and is just like, you know, has built that following, and I want to do that. I mean, TV on the radio made some great music. They did, but they don't make music anymore. I know, what happened? <laughs> they need to. I really want them to make music again. Dog, I met Toon Day for the first time, like, two months ago, and I was just like, I almost, I, I was like, keep it together, you know? <laughs> like, he's like the patron saint of my 
the world in my mind, you know? It's like, you're the greatest. Yeah. I had billboards all over LA for my album, Farm to Table, and he was he was telling me about how he kept passing them and how he was like listening to the songs and how he loved the music. And I was just like, dude, like I remember watching you play Wolf Like Me in 2006 on the Letterman show and me asking my mom to get me a guitar the next day. And I got a guitar and I started dressing like you and like covering that song at every party I went to for like two years. And now I'm like, just like talking to you at a bar in LA before I go and headline at the Getty tomorrow. Life is fucked up, man. It's crazy. <laughs> a lot can happen in life. <laughs> we have to pause for a quick break, and then we'll be back with more from Barty Strange. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. Member, FDIC, Copyright 2024. J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. We're back with the rest of my conversation with Barty Strange, who's about to play us stems from his latest album, Farm to Table, and break down how he built some of the tracks. We should talk about the creation of your new record. I, yeah. I know you brought some stems. Yeah. Which song should I pull up first? Whatever you want to pull up. Let's do Mulholland Drive. Okay. How did this track get built? The song started with this. And you wrote it on electric? Yeah. So, straight up, I love like emo music, like Twinkle Daddy shit from the Midwest. Snowing, Sam Rudick, American Football, Owls. Cap and Jazz. Cap and Jazz. Mike and Tim Kinsella. Mm-hmm. All those guys, Victor Villarreal. There's a lot of things that happen in this song, but it all started with the guitar line, um, which is kind of like an emo kind of Midwestern it's thing. All that reminds me of a Kinsella thing. Like now you say like Tim, or, yeah. Big time. I mean, it's, especially when you kind of get towards the end of the song, there's some big licks that are big emo licks. I'll just press play, I guess. Yeah, please. Let's, yeah. Now it's like we're on drugs. They say to just get over it. 
Who's playing on this? So, I'm playing that lead line. My buddy Dan Kleiderman is playing the cool guitar lines, which you'll hear during the chorus, and some of those commenting left here um, headphone guitar lines, the kind of like filling lead lines. Um, I played bass, and then my buddy John Days played bass as well. Kind of the way I... There's two basses on it? There's four. So, the way I track, I'll play... And then I'll have other people play, and I combine parts, like, all the time. Can you solo the bass so yeah. that we can hear that? So here's one bass track. During this section, it's just synth bass. That's all we have right now as the bass. But then... So right there, it goes from wide, spacious bass to a very focused bass sound in the middle, which is this. This is me playing bass. This is John. And this is the other one. So you get this thing where normally people go, verses are small, choruses are wide. But I wanted to go opposite, made the choruses very like direct and punchy. And the way I accomplished that was by making the bass focused and direct. Wow. So a trick. So yeah, that's a vibe. Moving on. Second verse, classic move, different vocal melody than the first verse. And I threw an auto tune on it because I'm like switching characters. This is like not the same person that was in the first verse. So, if you compare the verses, first verse vocal, like I don't know what's happening in my to this guy. I'm on the team. It's your favorite sin. I'm your nigga. I ain't your friend. Let's go up to the lake, blow the biggest and play the bands. Remember singing songs in GC all about how we. It's like Ty Dolla Sign. Yeah, shit's hard. Do you identify with one more than the other? I'm both at the same time. I wish everyone listening could see my face right now. I'm like <laughs> cheesing so hard. <laughs> I love this. Ah! Okay, moving forward. Jazz. Emo moment. Wow. You know? What made you throw that those couple of chords in before the It felt like it was time to move on. You know? Yeah. Like I love that chorus because um, you know, first chorus is short, no repetition. It's just it's it's sung through one time. Second time we sing it through twice with a little bit of an added measure and then we come out of it with these jazz chords which are very natural to me i taught myself how to play guitar so i don't really know what i'm doing most of the time i don't know notes or chords or anything like that but i wanted to create a shift that was out in the jazz sense like something that really doesn't fit the vibe of the song but creates a break that ends the space we were in you know, I wanted to like leave that world and go somewhere else like now, you know, I didn't want to create a transition. I was just like, shut that door. 
next room. Amazing. And so I felt like that voicing. You know, it's like sounds like like Robert Fripp. You know, yeah. um, and it, to me, it's also I like to show off. I guess uh, you know, I, I like to be like, yeah, I can do that shit too. Like, whatever, boom, boom, jazz. <laughs> All off. right, next chord. You know, <laughs> disrespectful. All my freaking band members are jazz nerds, like Berkeley freaking losers. You got it. You got a stunt on them, man. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, I didn't do any schooling, and you know, I'm kidding. I love those Watch freaks. This. Yeah, I love them so much, and they love those freaks. And they're always like, yo, what key is this in? And I'm like. You you tell me, my my guy, because I I just work here at Barty Strange LLC. I sign the checks. really showing off on this song and now i'm realizing yes you have more parts than you know what to do with. yeah sections <laughs> sections on sections but yo there's method to the madness so that section you expect it to go somewhere but it never climaxes we leave that and we just go right back to the chorus and we end the song so even in writing it did you feel like you wanted to go big there and stop yourself or did you yes i felt i was like i was like i want to lead them somewhere and I, and I don't want it to actually be gratifying. I want to suck it all back in and refocus it all small. Because that's how I'm feeling. Yes. It, it feels powerful, too, to take it away and not give it to them as a writer, as a musician. Especially after showing them I can do all these things. Like, I can do the jazz move. I can do the big guitar lick. I can write the tight chorus. We can do the cool auto-tune thing. I got a nice sound and lead vocal in the first half. But I'm not going to give you the, the climax. <laughs> and it's a choice. I like it. Yeah. Should we do one more? Yeah. Let's see. Cosigns or? This song is, I was really proud of this. This song, Cosigns, right? I had this beat for a while. Actually, I had this for a while. This sound. Let's see if we can make this louder. And I came upon that sound because I was like, you know who Nils Fromm is? From uh, Erase Tapes? I think so. Yeah. He's a piano player? Yes. Yeah. That sound is like sampled from his, he, had, he did this beautiful Primavera set with a Juno 106 and that bouncy synth thing was a sound he was getting from that Juno and I like recreated the patch and played it, right? So programmed that, and I was like, this is dirty. And then Tom York put out Anima, that solo project. Oh, right, right. And I was like, this is like the coolest record I've ever heard. I like really loved it. And so I was playing around a lot with like these like more houseier songs. And so I, I came up with that little thing. And somewhere along the way, I think it was because Chris Connors, my co-producer, was just coming off of this Kanye gig because he was working on the latest Kanye record. And he was telling me about it and how they were attracting the vocals and just how aggressive the vocals were. And then I was like, dang, let me dig in. So I start digging hard in all this Kanye stuff. And I was like, damn, I really love how like evil and mean and aggressive and ridiculous this vocal sound is. It's like this insane, saturated, super gated, like really risky tracking. And I was like, okay, let's see how close we can get to that. And then when it's like this Radiohead meets Kanye meets like this indie rock thing. And I fell in love with it. I thought it was like a really interesting 
portrait or like amalgamation of ideas. I was also having this realization. I was in 4AD's studio in Wandsworth in London, and I just come off tour with like Lucy Dacus and Phoebe Bridgers, and I was about to go on tour with Courtney Barnett and Bonavera just checked in to see what my touring schedule was like. And Martin Mills was coming down to listen to the music every couple days. And I was like, man, I don't know what happened, but this is working. Like, I'm doing this shit. Yeah. And this song is kind of, it's that energy. It's kind of like Boomer on Live Forever to me, where it's like, it's two or three vibes in a song smashed in and succinct, but there's like an honesty behind it that like, I honestly felt like I was the only person who could have made this song because I was like in a stage of my life that I felt like was really unique and I was around people that I'd always wanted to be around and I was able to capture that feeling in this recording. Yeah, because that's a feeling you only have once. Yeah. You only kind of are (laughs) ascending Once. once. You know, all of that shit happens for the first time, one time. And then I made this song. Just got out the van Universal hit me about some texts I need to send Need my address for some checks that they forgot to send Time to flip this transit, I think I'ma need the binge I'm in LA, I'm with Phoebe, I'm a genius damn I'm in Shatter, I'm with Lucy, I just got the scam Hit up Courtney, that's my auntie, I already stand I'm on FaceTime, I'm with Justin, we already friends We already friends Repeat the line just like Kanye West. <laughs> to me, I can hear Radiohead, like the freaking bass line. It's like. Just like the repetitive nature of the track and how it evolves over time feels like that to me. Anyways. It grows. Well, what's going on with the guitars in the background? Oh, man. Can, you, can you solo those? Yes, Lord. I play these guitars. They're the wiggliest, most fun guitars. And then this horn comes in. It's awesome. It's so fucking rad. I love it. It's bizarre, man. It's like that is not what the the beat that you started with. Yeah. I would never in a million years think to yeah. put those guitars on it. It's weird. And then you've got this bass line down the middle, like Could have been a radiohead song. Right. Mora, I got cosigns. This event's gonna ask my team. My pull up from 40 feet at the beacon for a week with the monster pointed at you. Bet I know y'all heard of me. Yeah. Wow. And it kind of jumps off into this, like, very, what I would say, like a Tom York anima style, like, housey section, like an intense thing. Like, Remember System of a Down? Of course. Check this out. Not Ariel's. <laughs> no. <laughs> right? Oh. 
Oh, not until you said. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Those are the drums. Beautiful. It's great playing. Yeah. My buddy Fabian Pren played those in the UK at the 4AD studios. He's the house engineer for 4AD. Crushing drummer, though. And literally, we wrote it, and I was like, okay, I can try and play the drums. And I went and played it, and I was like, Fabe, you got to play a better version of this, dog. I can't, I, can't be the, I can't be the drummer on this song. Good choice. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful choice. Those drums are incredible. Yeah, he crushed it. It's beautiful. Beautiful drumming. And then just a lot of processing. And, dog, that's how those drums sounded when we recorded them. Like, all these sounds, for the most part, were done live. That This vocal take I did, it's all live. It's just hella processing, like mostly through UAD stuff and a bunch of pedals. How many configurations did you have to go through till you found that chain? It took me like an hour because I knew what I wanted to sound like. I was like, it needs to come off a guitar amp. I want it to hit a space echo and it's got to be smashed and I need an auto tune. So I was like, how do we want to do this? <laughs> you know, it's like, we got, you know, let's figure it out. And um, yeah, and we figured it out. Me, Chris and Fabian. Neil's from... <laughs> Radiohead, <laughs> System of a Down, Kanye, Bartise, <laughs> Fabian, yeah, Chris. Dude. insane. Yeah, here I'll play this vocal track for you just really quick. Just got out the van. Uh oh. Universal hit me about some texts I need to send. Need my address for some checks that they forgot to send. Time to flip this transit. What, what seen- work were you doing for Universal, by the way? Oh, I didn't do anything for Universal. I just thought the line was dope. Okay, I just want. <laughs> no, it was like a hip hop move where it's just like, I don't have a Bugatti. I'm not buying Birkin bags for chicks, but I'm gonna rap about it, like, because I will one day. I love it. I love it. <laughs> it's like, but that's the fun of the song. It's like, when do you ever hear like a rap song talking about like Phoebe Bridgers, Lucy Dacus, and Justin Vernon? It's like, yeah, it doesn't exist. Yeah. You know, it's like the it's an art project. It's just fun. I love what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, man. Thank you so much, Bartiz. Man, thank you. This was awesome. Thanks to Bartiz Strange for dissecting a couple of songs off his new album, Farm to Table, and for sharing his creative journey with us. You can hear all of our favorite Bartiz Strange songs on a playlist at brokenrecordpodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Broken Record Podcast. We can find all of our new episodes. You can follow us on Twitter at Broken Record. Broken Record is produced with help from Leah Rose, Jason Gambrell, Ben Tolliday, Eric Sandler, and Jennifer Sanchez with engineering help from Nick Chafee. Our executive producer is Mia Lobel. Broken Record is a production of Pushkin Industries. If you like this show and others from Pushkin, consider subscribing to Pushkin Plus. Pushkin Plus is a podcast subscription that offers bonus content and uninterrupted ad-free listening for $4.99 a month. Look for Pushkin Plus on Apple Podcast subscriptions. And if you like the show, please remember to share, rate, and review us on your podcast app. Our theme music's by Kenny Beats. I'm Justin Richmond. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. 
the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You can rent a car, a house, even that little black party dress. So why not rent the stuff you need for your home, too? The place to do it is errands. Choose from thousands of new products from the brands you love, online or in store. Pick a payment plan that fits your budget and pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But if life changes, you can return it anytime or even upgrade it with something new. Rent what you need. It's better at errands. Approval not guaranteed. Restrictions apply. See store for details.